Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slasher, a delusional look into the art of horror in all things spooky, kooky, and terrifying. I'm Adrian. And I'm Stormy. And welcome to our third week of Found Footage Horror Month. I am having a blast this month, Stormy. I will be honest with you. I'm really starting to enjoy found footage a lot more. I don't know why I've neglected it for so long. Um, I think I feel the same about found footage as I always have. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't hate it. Never have. <laughs> I've always just kind of correlated it with like Blair Witch type of vibes, the shaky cameras. Um, I'm still getting that. I don't hate it as much, but I feel pretty similar than I did. It's not life-changing this month, but I'm having a good time. Fuck it. Yeah, definitely. I think like the tropes and like you said, like the shakiness and like, I don't know. I think I'm starting to just grow fond of it. I think it kind of happens. I think like when you consume something enough, like you just start to enjoy it regardless. Because that was always my issue with found footage. I was like, it is. It's so shaky. It's crazy. Everything kind of feels the same. But as we've been consuming so much of these films this month, like I feel like I've really grown to like enjoy the tropes, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And not that like it feels like super campy like slasher films can feel very campy with their tropes right i don't know found footage works in a very weird way and i think i'm really kind of growing fond of it i think though these tropes and everything that i've been realizing while watching these films kind of takes hold here with our discussion of the taking of deborah logan this week because i remember this movie not well but i remember it like kind of freaking me out and in rewatching it this time it felt silly in some spots. Not that I mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it, because I quite honestly did enjoy this movie, uh, but it definitely felt more silly as I'm starting to kind of notice just like the nuances of found footage and just like mm-hmm. what becomes predictable almost. Um, although it has like its moments, um, the predictability of some of the scares and whatnot I just kind of made it feel really silly, but it doesn't take away from like my enjoyment of it at all. I had a good time with this movie um so overall I, I really enjoyed it I mean overall how were you feeling with it um I think I I feel like I enjoyed it I'm still kind of like mulling it over um because when we first watched it we watched it on Instagram live and it's still there if anybody feels the need to go see a live <laughs> reaction um but I was very drunk I think the first time we watched it um <laughs> so I remember it being like super scary yeah. And now I watched it and I was like, okay. But I will <laughs> I will say that like found footage is kind of like my vibe like personally. Okay. Like if I if I were if I if Stormy was a type of film, I feel like it would be a found footage film because I'm I'm so nosy okay. that like and like in found footage films like you're ready Right in the middle of it. I am literally in your hand. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, like you said, some of the scares are kind of ridiculous. Like some of the shit I say is ridiculous. What would you be if you were? Oh, slasher. You think? Mm-hmm. I mean, do I give any other type of vibe off? Probably not. If we look at like but... horror subgenres, I feel like my vibe is slasher. I feel like you would be like a dark comedy. Oh, okay. You're right. I can definitely see that vibe for me. Yeah, I think Adrian's a dark comedy type of girl. You're right. And like the shaky, like shakiness of found footage. The low is, budget nature. 
Are you <laughs> saying I'm cheap? Wow. The Walmart of the poor franchise is. <laughs> you not just our podcast is over. You can find me on high key, low key at Twitter. <laughs> what would uh, dark comedy be like? A Nordstrom. A Nordstrom. <laughs> Are you sure? Like people know of it and it's like kind of like, you know, respectable, but like nobody really like gravitates towards it. I feel like often. I think you're a Ross dress for less. (laughs) (laughs) A TJ Maxx, perhaps. I love a good stop at Ross dress for less. Everybody does. That's why everybody loves you. (laughs) No queen. I love you regardless of your low budget vibe of found footage being your whole aesthetic. I, the shaky I, is my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of you like as like a found footage vibe until you mentioned it. Yeah, it's kind of there, right? I mean, I definitely don't think you're low budget. I don't think you're shaky or anything. Oh, I but am I, though. <laughs> I always think, like, trembling like a chihuahua at all times. The brash approach, like you're always like super honest and real. So maybe that's kind of where I get the vibes from, I guess. The raw footage. You feel very raw, right? <laughs> <laughs> the bad bitch energy. Um, but yeah, so I mean, overall, I mean, you enjoyed this movie though? Yeah, it's one of those ones. I think I've been saying this a lot, unfortunately, but I feel like taking the taking of Deborah Logan is one of those movies like once you've seen it, you've seen it and you don't need to like revisit it i don't think it's personally i probably like won't watch it again okay okay we'll we'll, we'll talk <laughs> yeah there's like a lot of movies that like i feel comfortable putting on in the background or in like or while i'm doing stuff and i don't mind like half watching it right. but this one just doesn't like give me that vibe it's, i mean okay. it's not like a complicated storyline where you have to be like paying super close attention it's not like that it's just it's not this sounds like I'm shitting on it, but I'm not trying to. Um, but like, it's not going to hold my attention, even if I'm giving it half of my attention. Okay. I mean, I can definitely understand like not wanting to revisit this movie. Um, and we'll get into it. We really will. Uh, but I also don't have the immediate desire to watch this movie again, at least not in the foreseeable future. Um, maybe down the line, again, I'll come back to it because um, there were some things that I really did enjoy about this movie. And there's things I'm going to take away about or there's things I'm going to take away from this movie that I'm talk- I'm probably going to talk about pretty constantly. Um but yeah, I don't have the immediate desire to rewatch this movie. Uh, and we'll get into it. I do want to really touch base, though, really fast on something that's really funny to me. It's so funny because every single movie or every single movie that we've discussed this month and every movie that we're going to discuss this month has come out literally like in the same time frame. 20, VHS was 2012. Willow Creek was 2013. The Taking of Deborah Logan is 2014. Creep is 2014. And... 2017 for creep two exactly so it really kind of shows you like maybe the oversaturation of found footage films around this specific time frame as well um mm-hmm. and everything that we've been watching has been back to back to back as well uh so i really feel like watching this movie and i don't know if that's taken away from this film experience or from this viewing experience with the taking of deborah logan because mm-hmm. Again, when we watched it live on Instagram, I remember being really 
kind of taken aback by it and like feeling really scared by it. And mm-hmm. not that horror lies solely on if it's going to be able to scare you or not. It goes beyond that. But like, I just remember being like really, really terrified by it. I will be honest again and say, I was very high. You can go watch the video. You can look into my eyes and you can see that I have no idea what's happening because I did not. Um, I wasn't able to fully grasp what was happening. It was just a lot of crazy stuff happening on screen and me just being like, what the fuck am I watching? But like none of it connected. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I was stoned and it was like a type of stoned where I wasn't focusing on the movie. I was focusing like on fucking my seventh grade of fucking junior high or whatever. Like I was in a different world altogether. And then something scary would happen on the screen. Fucking Deborah's jaw would become unhinged or something. And I'd be like, oh, this is scary. So I went into this experience expecting it to be like super crazy, super terrifying. And I don't know, like I've seen, I saw some of like the same tropes and the same like glitchy effects that we've seen all month. Not that it really took away from my enjoyment of watching the movie, but I definitely think it kind of maybe, like I was expecting it more of it because we're thick and found footage month, you know, we're in the thick of it at this time. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, like maybe I was expecting these things to happen and they were kind of happening. And I was like, oh, okay. Like predictable, but doesn't like completely take away my enjoyment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, overall, crazy movie and I'm really excited to talk about it um it was a crazy week I had a lot going on so I didn't get the opportunity of watching anything else horror related um so this week we're going to be skipping over the what's been spooking you section stormy also was super busy this week didn't get to get to anything else uh but we're going to go ahead and just jump into the taking of Deborah Logan because I know I'm gonna have a lot to say about this movie so let's just go ahead and jump into it Hey everybody, so if you're enjoying the podcast so far, definitely look into giving us a rating. It would be really, really beneficial. We're open to ideas and feedback. It really goes a long way. So go ahead and look into giving us a rating. Again, we're on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, and many more places. But for now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Alrighty, we are back. And this week we are discussing The Taking of Deborah Logan, which was originally released on October 21st of 2014. The film was made on a budget of about $1.5 million, was not able to find any opening weekend budget information, or uh, I was able to find any opening weekend uh, gains, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but the worldwide gross was about $400,000. The film has a runtime of one hour and 30 minutes. It was directed by Adam Robitel, who also directed both of the Escape Room films, as well as Insidious, The Last Key. And of course, it has a great cast. Jill Larson is Deborah Logan. Anne Ramsey is Sarah Logan. Michelle Ang is Mia Medina. Brett Gentile is Gavin. And Jeremy DeCarlos is Lewis. So the taking of Deborah Logan. Um... The film itself, of course, pretty much follows a film crew as they're documenting an elderly woman as she's battling Alzheimer's disease. Things, of course, start to kind of take a very sinister, very supernatural turn. And this crew definitely soon finds out that there's more going on here than they originally anticipated. So first and foremost, again, with this movie, I enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed, I think, surprisingly, more than anything, the characters, specifically Sarah. I have come away with such a love for Sarah. 
I am obsessed with her as a character. I was She's laughing. part of the Alphabet Mafia. She is part of the Alphabet Mafia. She is a queer icon. She makes me laugh with the most, almost everything she does. I think she is so hilarious. I love everything about her. I love the dynamic, whether it is toxic or not in nature, between her and Deborah. I love the tension. I love the story that's being told there. I wish we could have focused more on that as things were progressing and they didn't turn into like, you know, a silly, crazy possession movie about halfway through. Um, But I really enjoyed the dynamics that they were setting up with these characters. And I think that's what I kind of take away the most with this movie is at least, if anything, Sarah and Deborah Logan being really interesting characters. Yeah. There's one line that I do love from Sarah. She's talking to, um, what's the interviewer's name? Mia? Mia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do love a line where Sarah's talking to Mia. Mia's checking her blood pressure, saying that, like, stress is the killer of this uh-huh. whole thing. <laughs> and she's like, mm, doesn't matter. I plan on dying from cirrhosis of the liver anyway. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I feel you, girl. I love it. I, my favorite moment of her in this movie is near the very end when they're crawling through the tunnels and there's like snakes like attacking them, pretty much like biting at them. And she just <laughs> yeah. grabs a snake, throws and says, go fuck yourself while throwing a snake. <laughs> I was like, Sarah, you're an my favorite icon. person. Honestly, my favorite character. She's implied the entire movie. The entire movie. an icon. Looking like Aunt Jackie the entire movie. And I... I'm obsessed. Her mom, I know you miss your little, uh, what'd she call her? Your little, she doesn't say girlfriend, lady friend. She's like, I know you miss your lady friend. Why don't you just go move back? And I was like, oh, the sass. Do you not acknowledge her relationship, Miss Deborah? (laughs) Girl, this movie is wild. And they literally make a U-Haul joke. She's like, mm, I booked the U-Haul for Monday. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, lesbian, I see you. I love it. Like, everything about it. When Deborah, like, uh, I, I, I love how we're immediately just discussing the queer character. That's all that <laughs> interests me, if we're being honest. Like, I was just laser focused on Sarah the entire time. Uh, but I love to when Deborah. I mean, it's all very sad. And the gay panic in the scene is insane but Mm -hmm. like when she's like telling her to take off her jacket because it's too military and i was Mm -hmm. just like oh my goodness i can't deal with like these snide little comments deborah i will literally throw you through the window myself don't you have a nice blouse and she's like no i don't know own any blouses i was (laughs) like oh well and then she's talking to mia later as well and she's explaining where she was making out with like one of the other neighborhood girls when she yeah. was younger. That makes me so sad. So sad. One of my favorite scenes. She's like, we didn't understand what we were doing. Like we were little kids and mm-hmm. our mom was a bitch. Honestly, I love Sarah Logan. I do. I love her character. I love her journey throughout this movie. I love the strength that she shows in this movie. Um, so yeah, I think she's a shining light in what otherwise turns into something very predictable, I would say, near the end. I think it's muddy. I think it's messy. The time, like, the story is a little kind of, like, all over the place. Yeah. I feel like it could have been a lot more polished in its execution. I agree. Um, I feel like somebody randomly got an idea, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, let's go in that direction. But it wasn't really thought through. They just, like, took that idea and ran. Yeah, because I definitely feel like the movie starts very strong. Like I said, like the character development, 
seems promising and the story itself seems like it could go in a very intriguing direction again it does go into like straight possession like at the drop of a hat i mean that's what we're here for i guess anyways i think it, i mean it's always going to be some type of possession i'm sure that was i mean watching the movie you probably feel that um but at least at the beginning it seems a bit more promising i know that maybe there can even be some you know ethical concerns that come into play with kind of using Alzheimer's or I can't even say it, Alzheimer's disease as like the catalyst for all of this, you know, spooky, horrific things that do start to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the film itself, of course, is trying to do that. I don't think it's trying to mock the disease in any type of way. I mean, it spends mm-hmm. the first half of the movie informing the viewer of the disease obviously yeah, this honestly felt like really educational for a horror movie it did it really did yeah. i mean obviously high trigger warning for anybody who may have family or friends or know anybody who is battling alzheimer's disease because the first portion of this or movie, self-harm because it gets rough and the first half again is very unsettling um and it definitely feels like we are following an alzheimer's patient and like my heart hurts for like yeah at every instance anytime something happens um because it does feel very real in what it's presenting so again like super high trigger warning for anybody who again may of course find viewing something like this or watching a film like this to be very difficult to sit through because it definitely it can feel that way for sure again it does flip the switch very quickly and it quickly goes into like crazy demonic you know entity but like the subject matter is very dark and at times when things are happening and, you know, the first few like scares that happen, like immediately you're like, okay, you know, is this, um, you know, because of the Alzheimer's or is this because something else is happening already? I mean, near the end, it gets kind of crazy. And like, you don't even like have to debate in your head anymore. But I think that at the beginning, at least is what's most intriguing is like trying to figure out the differences there. Yeah. But I feel like you were saying that it's a little bit, I don't think you use the word taboo, but that's kind of how I feel is like whenever they use Alzheimer's or they use mental health or schizophrenia or something like that as like a catalyst for these types of things, uh, I feel like it can be very problematic. And I feel like it's an old ideal. Like, I think it's an old idea that we kind of need to go away with. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of different ways that we can approach the subject. But, like, um, I do feel that this one is done almost a bit respectfully because of how educational it is in the beginning. Um, and they never, like, straight up say, like, oh, she's acting this way because of because of Alzheimer's. Right. Like, that's how they, like, lead it to be. And they're thinking that that's what's happening. But then, like you said, it's very quickly, like, obvious, like, something is bigger. Like, almost instantly, not almost instantly, but, like, very quickly in the movie, we find that, like, the brain activity or the brain growth of this disease is, like, catapulted forward by, like, years. And so that's kind of, like, your first little nod to being like oh this really isn't like alzheimer's anymore we're looking at something bigger something different i don't know this could go into a whole you know how i feel about mental health and going into that big ocean feel but i feel like this one is different but we still need to be uh i feel like we should move away from this 
I, yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely understand with, again, like we're kind of saying, like using Alzheimer's or using, you know, mental illness, again, as like the starting point of the film. And, you know, the issue lies, I would say, and again, you know, everybody's going to be able, you know, everybody's going to view this differently, because I definitely do think that this film does handle it in a good way because again the first portion is very educational i think they really didn't want it to be educational i think they were probably smart and kind of take it into like a medical documentary type of vibe where they're there to analyze and discuss the effects of it and then like as soon as something happens that's like slightly supernatural like immediately it's like the doctor's like oh yeah this is something different we've never seen this before and then it kind of just takes on its a life you know beyond the disease so uh, again, I do think, of course, it still comes down to a huge trigger warning. But in terms of like that conversation of just kind of using it as the starting point, I do think like the problematic nature of it just comes back to just the stigma, the negative stigma that is associated with mental illness, with Alzheimer's, and just like immediately putting, you know, these individuals into a space of feeling like outsiders in you know, even in their own families. And I think that is where it can get very muddied. And I think that's probably, again, you can proceed with caution here with a movie like this. Because again, it, I mean, everybody's going to react to it differently. And I was reading articles and I was reading reviews of individuals who have family members who have Alzheimer's, who view this movie, who watched this movie. And, you know, they said it's, it, you know, it was very alarming. And, you know, the first portion of the film, especially, is very scary and very triggering. But as it kind of progresses beyond that, you know, the movie definitely takes life of its own. And this movie kind of has like those things where it kind of falls into like, kind of like eye rolly things like the monican blood ritual and the monican tribe is you know they're very prominent within the state of virginia ohio tennessee like that general area and you know and kind of taking like a blood ritual which leads to like some type of demon entity i mean there's like eye rolly things here and there but I, again i think with this movie i don't think it's directly trying to like mock anything um but it definitely dives into, you know, silly, crazy possession territory very quickly. Uh, the movie itself, I think, again, I think it really, it's a very intriguing watch at the beginning. I mean, the film itself starts immediately, of course, with letting us know that, you know, we're about to see, obviously, a collection of real footage and this and that. Which, I I mean, I think we can probably just consider that a trope in itself at this point with found footage film. Because they always start with some type of show. <laughs> like, they're always telling us that we're about to Some watch. disclaimer. Yeah, we're always getting the disclaimer. And I'm like, girl, just throw us into the movie. Like, I get it's found footage. And I think, I get the premise of it is to, like, set up where this footage is coming from um but like we're we're aware at this point let's just start the movie i mean i guess i don't know it's just very funny to me um but yeah we're definitely following medical student maya as she's looking into her thesis paper i think it's very interesting that her thesis paper is not focusing on the effects of alzheimer's specifically but kind of going beyond that and like looking at the physiological effects that it has on like the primary caregiver um so she's definitely kind of very intrigued by sarah and how this is affecting her and i think that's very interesting and i think that's a very interesting topic for a thesis so like i was really intrigued at the beginning of this movie i was like really excited to kind of see where it went uh we're in exile Virginia. I don't know what the hell's happening in Virginia. I never know what's happening in any state that I am not in. So, like, I don't know the general vibes in Virginia. I don't know what's happening. Um, but it felt very green, right? Is Virginia yeah. is Virginia considered the South? Uh, I think it's south of the Mason-Dixon. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Educated queen. Uh, 
<laughs> um, I'm from the South, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, we're in Virginia. We immediately, I mean, upon meeting Deborah and meeting Sarah, um, obviously the tension's there. Like Sarah's immediately like trying to warn the crew members that, you know, hey, kiss her ass. She's a traditional old woman. She likes things to be her way. She's very stubborn and she's very by the book. And I mean, upon meeting them, like she's immediately like wanting them to go. And I mean, you can just tell the tensions there. Obviously, there's like financial struggles that are going on. Again, like mm-hmm. the development of Sarah and Deborah's relationship is, again, it's just so interesting to me, like straight off the bat. And I mean, I definitely wish we probably could have seen more of that because I feel like we lose mm-hmm. that very quickly, um, at least by the halfway point. I feel like we lose that dynamic. Um, I guess not fully from Sarah. Like she always like, I don't know. She, again, she's like my favorite person in this movie. Um, but I just wish we could have saw more of that, I guess. Yeah. I love the way that we're introduced to Sarah. She's literally running beside the van with a cigarette, trying to beat them to the door. Because <laughs> I'm assuming she wasn't prepared for them to be there just yet. Um, running in her chucks and her fucking flannel t-shirt. <laughs> I want to make sure she's all tucked in, she says. Yeah. And then instantly she's like, so you have the grant money, right? <laughs> I was like, okay, girl, we know why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. But she just wants to take care of her mom, which is the most endearing part. Is the whole thing is like, I mean, obviously we've already mentioned it, but like her mom turns into a whole ass demon. Yeah. And she still is just like worrying about taking care of her mom. Like just wants to bring her mom home. And it goes so deeper than that because, or it goes so much deeper than that because I think before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I don't think they talked much. I don't think Mm-mm. they interacted but with each other. But she comes home for that, like to take care of her mom. Yeah, and you can just tell, like, it just, it's a lot. You can t- you can cut the tension with a knife. You can tell that they mm-hmm. have a very strange, or that they have a very strange relationship. And you can tell that they don't get along, but, like, they're doing what they can. Because at this point, Deborah needs care. She needs somebody to be there for her. Little old Debbie was definitely a Karen back in the day. Like, oh, yeah. Can, like, we instantly, we meet her, and she's, like, instantly changes her mind. She's like, you need to leave. I'm like, girl, what? Like, <laughs> and she prefaces it and she goes, I know you've driven a long way. And at that point, I would have been like, yeah, we fucking did, bitch. And you know what? I'm fucking staying in this house regardless of what you fucking want. I didn't waste my gas money to come up here. I didn't waste the school's money to come up here to fucking just, you know, sit here and see you for two seconds with this other weird old man in your fucking big ass backyard. Because you guys are out here, obviously, in this fucking garden, left and right, burying bodies, apparently. Mm -hmm. No, ma'am. I'm not going to sit here and just leave because you tell me to. But I'll be back. (laughs) And she puts the boys, whenever they finally do decide to let them stay, um, she puts the boys in this room together, um, but like they have like pallets on the floor, like literally sleepover pallets. <laughs> and then Mia or Maya um, gets like a full like four post bed, but she's like, there will not be intermingling in my house. She says, I'm like, okay, Debbie, fucking bitch. So ridiculous. We also, I guess, kind of get like a glimpse of Mia and her character a little bit when Deborah, uh, when Deb is like very like resistant to their filming. And mm-hmm. like she immediately is like, oh, well, my grandfather had the disease. This means so much more to me than just a grade. And like immediately her cameraman's like, bitch, your fucking grandpa's over here fucking jet skiing in some fucking resort somewhere. And like she's thinking on her toes. If she's 
to the point in her school, in her education, that she's writing a thesis, you are probably skilled enough to think on your feet. Um, and like, honestly, you've probably like bullshitted your way through enough presentations to be able to speak to Karens like this. Right. So, I mean, I'm proud of her, but. <laughs> what makes me laugh too is that she does lie about that. And then by the end of the movie, she's so like wrapped up in this and like, she's like so committed to even helping Sarah, which is really yeah. nice. But at the end, it makes me laugh so much when she goes, before they go into like the meal where Deborah's <laughs> fucking trying to, yeah, she goes, I just, I just want you to know I lied about my grandfather. And Sarah goes, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like, bitch, I, what? Why did you bring she's this like, up? She's like, my mom's a literal demon inside of this <laughs> mine and you're this is your time to confess like <laughs> she literally was like i don't give a fuck me up like just shut up like no it's so funny because the entire ending scene jumping to the ending scene already but it's just sarah like fucking screaming at me the entire time and it just mm-hmm. i love it it makes me laugh um but yeah so obviously uh after deborah and sarah have like a heart-to-heart moment where sarah's like bitch we need the fucking money. Like, this is, there's too much going on right now. You're behind on this house. We can't get caught up on, you know, any of these bills. We need this grand money. So they let them in. Deborah, again, like you said, gives everybody their own room. They're kind of settling in to hang out here. We have Mia, Lewis, and Gavin. And I had Lewis and Gavin confused the entire time because we never really see Lewis too much. He's like behind the camera, obviously, most of the time. But I don't know why I had them confused, but like it took me forever to figure out who was who. But we have these three individuals who are staying in this home. Um, immediately after they move in, you know, that's when they really get heavy on like the information portion of the film. Like it shows us some scenes of Deborah, you know, in her everyday life, having to go to the store. You know, they mentioned that, you know, no small task or there is like no small task for Alzheimer's patients. And then they get into like the actual description of what the disease is, how it works. And, you know, it's really interesting, but we also get like the first portion here as well in like this whole like uh, moment, I guess, of the film where we see Deborah in the yard digging and she's like holding a fucking snake. So like we get our first like glimpse into seeing that maybe this isn't exactly what we expect it to be because she's out here in the fucking garden looking for snakes. So Being a fucking snake charmer. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know why, but I really love that like snakes have been and always will be like a representation of evil. And like, you just know, as as soon as a snake shows up in a movie that like shit's going down, especially if it's a black snake, the, there's just something deep and evil is coming. And I'm like, I mean, (laughs) I guess that goes back to like the beginning of fucking the Bible and all that shit. But, um, I don't know why. I just enjoy it. Um, Snakes are scary. That's why. Yeah, I mean, they are. I I recently touched a snake for the first time the other day. Oh, never. I could never. Mm, Yeah, one of my my coworkers brought one in because apparently, so apparently snakes burrow during the winter and this one was stupid and didn't burrow in time and it was just like laying on the road trying to get warm and they brought it in and they're like, touch it. And I'm like, the fuck? But um, yeah, (laughs) my Christian brain was just like, there's the fucking devil and reincarnate in my office. But uh, that is one thing that they keep very, like very heavily in this film is snakes. Like that is probably one of the only like very obvious signs that we get over and over again is the snakes. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. Again, snakes really do freak me out. So, I mean, they were very freaky in this film every time a snake popped up i was always like 
side-eyeing a little bit. Uh, but yeah, we're closing up at this point in good old Debbie's home. The film crew starts to like set up like surveillance cameras in the house, which to me feels very next level. Like if I was Sarah, but again, I mean, she just wants to check. But like mm-hmm. at that point, if they're setting up like surveillance cameras in my home. I'd be like, y'all probably should take a chill pill. Well, but they are setting up like by the end of this film, we're ending in like, I think 60 days. So yes. like they're in it to win it type of thing. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess they're getting as much footage as they possibly can. And so it makes sense, especially since like, um, I guess sleepwalking is a big thing. Right. Okay. You're correct there. So they're probably just trying to monitor, like you said, monitor as much as they can. So, like, I guess, like, the grant money is bigger than, like, Blair, Blair Witch Project budget. But <laughs> Yeah, apparently, if this grant money is going to be able to, like, help pay them, help pay the cameraman, yeah. like, apparently this money is going far, so. But it wasn't worth it for fucking whatever. Has Gavin. Gavin, whose bitch ass just leaves him there I with the most him. ridiculous fucking horn when he drives away. The, the Duke's a hazard horn. Yeah. like <laughs> So stupid. Yeah. Well, and that's how you know we're in the thick of the South. Is right. Somebody has the fucking Duke's of hazard horn. <laughs> so stupid. In a minivan, of all things. Girl, a disaster. I don't blame him, though. He drove right out of this movie, and I don't blame him. Yeah, he really. When that man is drunk and f- shooting guns, I gotta go. I, yeah, I gotta he, go. He literally was probably like the smartest out of everybody because he's like, you know what? That's when Deborah is speaking in French and talking in a demonic voice, I gotta go. I'm not staying anymore. I got to go. And also, <laughs> Louise says it several times throughout the movie, but he's like, how many addicts does this house have? <laughs> Literally so, it's so funny. Even in the very end, he's like, a third addict? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Really, though, like, there's so many, that's why I was so confused. There's a part in the movie where they find her naked upstairs. And mm-hmm. when Sarah's like, oh, this door's always locked. And I'm like, the attic? Weren't we just in the attic, like, a few scenes ago? And then at the end, he's like, a third attic? So I was like, oh, they literally have three different attics in this house. Yeah, because they have the one in the beginning in the hallway that Mm -hmm. she goes into. One in um, this room. And then he, like, walks into, and, like, she's not there magically. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's one, like, there's, like, one in a room that, like, there's a closet, but, like, also a doorway to an attic. Yeah. The one in the... I don't know. In one of the bedrooms. And then there's a pull-down one like, yes. in the end and, like, in the hallway. And I'm like, there's... there's Okay, so there's an old white woman who's walking around naked. She has dementia. Um, like, these doors should be locked. They should be secured. Um, and also, some crazy shit's going on. So I'm... I'm honestly, I'm probably going to leave exactly like Gavin. But... <laughs> I think that's a a lot of the struggle for Sarah, I think, as well, because her mother refuses to sell the home. And it is a big home. And, like, she can't live here on her own anymore because there's three attics, multiple windows. She's in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't seem like a good idea for her to be here by herself. But she won't sell the home either. So Sarah has to sit here and stay with her and watch her. Uh, But they have no money. Like, they don't have the money to even feasibly keep this place afloat anymore. So it's a lot of turmoil. So I'm like really, again, like I sympathize for Sarah immensely and yeah. for Deborah as well. Although she seems very homophobic, um, it's still like a really, really tough situation to be in. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> and speaking of window, you're talking about like how many windows this uh, house has. Like, so Deborah end up, ends up like nailing windows shut. And Sarah, Sarah legitimately says like, oh, we're nailing the windows shut again. So like, <laughs> this is a common occurrence of her like, nailing the window shut over yeah. and over again which for me it kind of causes like um because i don't know i guess we don't really know like the time frame by the time the crew shows up of like how long it's been since uh she was fully diagnosed with alzheimer's because right, feel- sarah mentioned go ahead sorry no no go ahead you go ahead I was just going to say, because Sarah, whenever she's talking to the doctor later, she was like, whenever we originally talked about this, you would say, you said mom had like three to four years right. before we got to this pro- progression, but they never addressed like how long ago the di- original diagnosis was. Yeah. Because to me, I feel like at least with the movie setting up and like, like you said, with like the nailing in the window constantly. And there's that moment as well where Deborah's just staring at the window before she nails it. And Sarah's like, oh, she always thinks that there's like a man standing outside. She always thinks that there's an intruder. So for me, like, I feel like, because pretty much what we come to realize is that there was a local pediatrician who had lived there many years ago. Because Deborah's whole entire thing was like being like an answering service or something for the town. Um I don't know what the fuck she was doing. I don't understand what that job taking was. Taking voicemails, pretty much. Is that what it was? Yeah, pretty much. Before voicemails were a thing. Yeah, you take messages and relay messages. Interesting. Okay, so that's what she was doing back in the 70s, I guess. But there's a local pediatrician who is from Quebec, so he's French-Canadian. And he, I guess, was looking into Monacan blood rituals because he had Lou Gehrig's disease and he was going to die. And he was trying to figure out a way to stay immortal forever. So he had to sacrifice five different women, um, young women who, of course, were having their first period is what the, you know, the movie likes to tell or what the movie explains to us. but he ends up going missing and nobody knows where he's at. So to me, and we find out at the end of the movie that fucking Deborah killed him. So she killed him along with her neighbor Harris. <laughs> with a gardening spade. With a gardening spade. The most Deborah thing I could ever, the most Deborah thing I've ever heard. Um, but her and her neighbor Harris kill him and bury him pretty much. So to me, it sounds like she's probably been dealing with his presence and his evil and or this evil entity for probably ever since she buried him is what Mm -hmm. it sounds like because of course the anthropologist i mean which everybody kind of knows with possession it comes down to the weak-minded you know typically somebody younger somebody older somebody in a very you know stressful situation when you're weakened that's when the evil spirits have the opportunity to infest your body and you know cause you to fucking spit pea soup or whatever the fuck so to me it feels like she's probably been dealing with he, I mean, he's buried in her fucking backyard. So I'm sure she's probably been dealing with hauntings and dealing with his spirit and dealing with weird things happening. So it feels like that's probably been something that she's been dealing with. And as soon as she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and her mind possibly became weaker is when he kind of took the opportunity of like infesting her pretty much, I guess, possessing her. Well, even in her art, like he, uh, I think it's, I think it's Gavin that finds the pictures, yeah. but he's like looking through pictures and she's, painting these pictures of this black form getting closer and closer and closer, like through the window. Super scary. Yeah. Yeah. So like, who knows how long this has been going on? Like you said, it's probably since she murdered. (laughs) Yeah. I really honestly feel like she's been dealing with like 
his haunting probably since he was killed and put into her backyard and he was just waiting for the perfect moment to possess her which seems kind of petty to me because i feel like he was waiting to possess either her or harris probably so like the fact that this yeah the fact that this demon is just sitting around you know with his with his fucking legs crossed just waiting for one of these people to become weak enough to possess because i mean i feel like he could have possessed anybody yeah but like time like isn't a thing for demons like they're thousands of years old (laughs) um but like so you you get generally get your first period around like 12 to 13 and i'd say sarah is like well into her 40s probably mm-hmm. um so like this bitch has been waiting a minute and like that's a long time to be haunted by yeah. something so like i'm honestly surprised that like deborah didn't go like deborah didn't slip mentally sooner if that makes any sense um like I understand, like, it wouldn't have caused... it's That's not what caused her Alzheimer's, but, like, I feel like it could have altered her mental status, like, even yeah. more so, right? Yeah, because it definitely feels like she's... Again, like, this has been a secret that she's been living with for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I mean, we don't get any information on it. That's just me, like, fucking shooting the shit here, pretty much. Right. Um, but it definitely feels like just... It's probably been something that she's been dealing with with quite some time. And I think when she was fully diagnosed with Alzheimer's and her mind itself of course wasn't as strong as it once was and i think she's kind of re or you know recollecting her thoughts on what did happen and she's starting to see things and again illustrated in her paintings like she's starting to notice that there is somebody outside there is somebody watching her there's somebody trying to get in um it's very alarming and it's very scary which is why i probably feel like it has been something that's been going on for some time with her um but really i guess when things really take a turn for everybody is when they're doing that scene with sarah and me and they're talking about her stress levels but then when deborah is like coming at gavin i think it is with the yeah knife. with the knife yeah and at that point the doctor's like things are moving a lot quicker than we were anticipating like things are she's progressed to like the middle stages of this of this disease already which you know we're kind of like we're shocked by the doctor is stunned she's gagged she doesn't know what the hell's happening so at this point we realize like things are very serious and i think they're you know they're going beyond the world of reality at this point mm-hmm. oh my god girl and then when fucking deborah's ripping the skin off of her neck i like, uh, literally uh. can i literally cannot i watched this movie twice in preparation for this thing and like i i couldn't there's that mm-hmm. scene where she rips it off her neck and when she's ripping it off her arm later yeah can't, can't do it i literally look away i can't it makes me think of like so you know those little hangnails that you get and you end up like ripping it like halfway up your finger trying to get it off? Mm-hmm. That's what it reminds me <laughs> of, but like a much bigger version. <laughs> Makes me so disgusted. But after all of this is when we do get that moment with Sarah where she's explaining what happened when she was a child when her mom found out and her mom was like really red-faced and embarrassed and like was sending her away because she was, you know, caught her kissing another girl. Um, again, like probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think it's great. I think that Anne Ramsey does a fantastic job at, you know, conveying the emotion and the turmoil of having to undergo something like that, you know, because, I mean, that's every little queer kid's nightmare is having to sit here and, you know, face the ridicule by not only the world, but, like, the people that you expect to love you the most. It's just, like, so scary. And so she does such a fantastic job at just, like, relaying that emotion on screen, and I, like, really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Like, I really do enjoy everything about her in this movie i think she's great she's really an enjoyable actress she Um, is 
I don't think I've seen her in anything else off the top of my head, but I kind of want to like go look at her IMDb and see what else she's in. She gives me very, there's this movie, there's this show on old school Disney and it played like late at night. I think it was called like so weird or something like that. It was like a paranormal, it was like a paranormal show. And like, she reminds me a lot of the mom. Interesting. I've never heard of that. I'm going to have to like look into it. Let me double check the name. I want (laughs) to say it's so weird though. Yeah. It's called so weird in 1993 or 1999. On Disney? Yeah. Interesting. I have never seen that. Yeah. So it's like, she's on the road with her mom, who's a rock star and she's, like into paranormal stuff so like ghosts and stuff and she like search like seeks it out during their travels it was a really good show but she reminds me of the mom so okay yeah well I love her. <laughs> and yeah things at this point again they just continuously get worse at this point after she's nailing up the window later that night deborah wakes up and ends up going out into the yard and is like just stabbing at the yard with her little garden tool everybody's like freaking out at this point deborah or sarah the next day is like calling the doctor and she's like bitch this is something something else is going on here miss girl we got to figure out what the fuck is happening when they go out in the daylight there's so many holes in so- Oh, fucking <laughs> so I'm like, how long was Miss Debbie out there fucking digging holes when y'all had no idea? Yeah, so many fucking holes. It's just ridiculous. And from here, I mean, things just pretty much at this point, the movie completely just shifts into like full-blown crazy possession movie, um, which definitely works at times. I mean, there's a lot of very, very fun things that happen after this. Um, Deborah's back. It's a really bad infection, which is really alarming to look at. It almost looks like a really bad burn. And Mm -hmm. at this point, the doctors, again, are like completely alarmed like they don't understand what's happening they think it could possibly but what they're theorizing is it could be the fucking medication that she's on but like right away they like, also called it contact dermatitis which is like the most basic fucking thing they could <laughs> diagnose her with. because they i mean again like they're saying like these types of side effects whether it be to the uh medication or if it is some type of contact dermatitis like it's not like something that you traditionally see within an alzheimer's patient so right. like, at this point they're like Sarah, fucking cut the cameras that ass and like figure out what the hell's happening because uh, your brother is going through something completely different at this point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so from here, again, things just pretty much gradually get worse. Fucking Deborah's trying to swallow her little figurines. They freak out by that. Um, at that point, after she tries to swallow the fucking figurines is when Gavin goes to put a cross at that window that she's always staring out of. That's when he sees the picture. That's when he sees the pictures. But it's also when Deborah like randomly ends up next to him and opens the door or opens the window without touching it. You're letting all my heat out, she says. So and I was like, bitch, the window wasn't open until you opened it. And she sounds like an old man. Like her voice mm-hmm. sounds very low at that point too. So it's very scary. Yeah, I don't like that part. When it flew open and I was like, the fuck? <laughs> I also think it happens way before this, but there's that moment too where she's like standing in front of the stove and like ends up on top of it. Yeah. Like that randomly. is like such a ridiculous, like she doesn't like jump or anything. It's just like, she's just there. Like she's a like, boop, boop. 
but there's like funny. no but there's like no glitch i was expecting like the stupid little glitch where something happened <laughs> and then mia's like well maybe she dragged a chair and they're like bitch where did the chair go then <laughs> yeah they're like there's no fucking chair in the shot mia she's annoying to me at times mia like i definitely understand she's working on her thesis and is doing what she can but like when stuff like that pops up and i understand why gavin leaves at that point because like he's trying to like explain to her like there's something else going on here and she kind of ignores that and just like focuses solely on like the factual things that she you know believes is happening but like girl she should have like woken up to it sooner because i mean i don't know i just wish she would have been more aware of the situation because she seems very obviously she's like playing that person who just like tries to ignore it until it's too late right yeah, but again, things just get worse. That's when fucking Deborah gets naked and goes upstairs to her little switchboard and she wakes everybody up by messing with the fucking switches. And she's messing with the same continuous like section, I guess, the 337 section of her little switchboard. She's naked. She's fucking speaking in French. Sounds like a full-on demon. We get the most ridiculous like random screen effect where we see like a spooky face on the screen for one second when her fucking switchboard explodes. It's a little much... But, you know, it happens and it leads us to, you know, more hospital scenes after that. Mm-hmm. Whenever they pull up the EVP, I was ready. I was like, Oh, I do love that moment, though. I love a good EVP moment. I love hearing spooky sounds on tape. <laughs> uh, so I love that. And he, it, I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. That's my, like, favorite part of, like, ghost adventures and shit like Same. that. Same. Is whenever they get EVPs. But, like... 98% of the time, like, it doesn't sound like anything, but then they bring up the caption, and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what they said. So they're obviously, like, leading you. It's always like, and you're like, mm, okay, and then, like, <laughs> and then they slow it down, and it's like, your mother sucks cocks in hell, and you're like, <laughs> yes, exactly. I heard that the first time. Right. It's always like that. But yeah, shit just hits the fan. And at this point, that's when they discover, because um, the doctor, for whatever reason, is like, figure out what 337 is and maybe try to figure out what that memory is and maybe that can help her. And I'm like, is that, like, are you, like, is that necessary, doctor? Like, why are you, like, uh, what, what, what? And like, I understand that Sarah's grasping at straws and trying to get, like, some type of guidance here from anybody. But when the doctor says that, I'm like, girl, what the fuck? Like, why would I listen to you about that? But I mean, it definitely helps because it leads them to this fucking book. And, you know, they figure it out that she was talking to. And I'm not going to try to say his name. Um, I guess I will. Like the the doctor guy, the pediatrician. I need to look <laughs> it up. I think I can say I want to say it. Hold on. Yeah, but the local pediatrician who went missing. And I think the movie takes a very easy approach with like display or with explaining his backstory because they give us like a whole like documentary news footage um segment dedicated to him, dedicated to his story. Uh he went missing, of course. Uh there was four women who were found murdered and killed with crazy markings, serpent markings, and Oh, Desjardins. Oh, Desjardins. I'm just going to call him DiGiorno. So, DiGiorno. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So everybody's very suspect of DiGiorno because, you know, these women have gone missing. He, of course, would have, you know, the only motive to wanting to become immortal because he's dying. So nobody ever knows what happens to him. He pretty much turns into like an urban legend. Nobody knows what went down there um come to find out obviously that he was trying to make sarah his fifth victim because he needed five victims in his ritual in order to become immortal um so that's why you know good old debbie decided to fucking just murder him 
which good for you, Deborah. You know, get your life, Miss Girl. But yeah, so that's pretty much we get a quick backstory on him. And at this point, like the movie again, like I feel like the character development and everything that we've been building to is kind of lost at this point. We pretty much just focus on like the possession and him and like trying to figure out how to burn his body. And it gets a little muddy i guess like the last portion of this film um the last part of this or the last half of this film um but i mean again like i've come to love sarah so much at this point that like everything that's happening i just kind of go with it and you know i take it in stride at this point but yeah deborah's in the fucking hospital constantly harris is going crazy because he's also part of this conspiracy he's shooting up the fucking place because he's drunk and doesn't know what else to do with himself gavin runs off it's just crazy we skipped over the fact that debbie like literally abducts a young fucking cancer patient (laughs) and only makes it as far as like security and then they take her back at first yeah the first time around but then then she kidnaps her again right well no does it happen before honestly by the time that deborah's in the hospital like full force like there's just so much happening that there it's just a lot harris pops up randomly again i fucking die of laughter when they're in the hospital and then all of a sudden the cameraman i think it's louise he goes what's harris doing here and he just like walks into the room where deborah is and was like talking to her and the security has to come in and like whisk him away i'm like how did he get this far anyways but we just have to know he's still in the movie because then eventually he comes in again randomly and like tries to kill her because she's like telling him to kill me kill me kill me and then the tv shakes all crazy and flies off the wall and fucking knocks him out i just i couldn't help but roll my eyes at that yeah the way the tv is shaking the box tv (laughs) mounted to the wall is just trembling while it's waiting to fly off and take out this old man and like honestly honestly it's on site with this old man at this point if you are shooting all fucking wild outside of this property that i'm saying i'm done like it's on site if i saw your old ass walking around this hospital i would have fucking beat the shit out of you because that Mia at one point sees him again. She's like, why is Harris here? And Sarah's like, just give him his space. I'm like, N- I'm surely not. I'm going to go in there and kick him in the throat and beat his ass and give him a reason to be in this hospital. I'm not fucking around with somebody who's shooting a gun at me. Okay, but to just to sidetrack us just a little bit, if this old crusty man can survive a demon shooting a box TV at him from the back of the head, then Stu surely as fuck can survive taking that fucking TV to the face. No, okay? I don't think Harris even survives. He's no, he does. Does he? He survived longer than fucking Stu supposedly did. <laughs> Okay, well, but he dies, though, I'm sure, right? Do we know I think officially? They, no, they take him into surgery. But we don't know what happens to him. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I guess there's a possibility. Have you seen those? Okay, okay I don't want to call them stupid, but probably stupid. But those images that people post of, like, Stu all, like, burnt up with, like, scars Stop all over it. his head. And they're like, this it's is how It's literally a look. leaked picture. <laughs> And I don't want to attack the fans. I know how it feels to be a hardcore Scream fan. I love the effort that you guys put into that. Keep up the good work, but I can't help but laugh when I see that picture of him like floating on the internet. I'm just like, just, and you know, and you're one of them. I get it. Stop it. But if you I say just, let it go, I'm hanging up. Let's do be dead. 
<laughs> no. Also, another sidetrack. I sent Adrian a TikTok where it was like, pick which. Um, oh my god, what Matthew? Pick Lillard. which Matthew Lillard, yes. your best friend, would. Yeah, and he picked both of my favorites. So, so proud of him. Mine was like one through ten, but. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it would suck each and every one of them to the mm-hmm. bone mm-hmm. but you know my ultimate matthew lillard though was definitely him at the screen premiere just because he looks like the ultimate fuck boy and his tongue is out and his hair is shaggy mm-hmm. and he's wearing like this baggy little suit and you just i don't want to say anything because honestly ever since i was blocked by devin sawa like i don't want to be thirsty anymore because i don't want the thirst to get me blocked by some of my favorite horror characters <laughs> you know what I was going to say fuck Devin Sawa, but I don't want to be blocked personally because uh, I've never been blocked by any famous yet. We'll talk about it here. Yeah. They're not going to come and listen to this, obviously, but they might randomly come across our thirst tweets. You never know. You know what? Devin Sawa and Matthew Lillard are 100% slasher. You know who a one-star <laughs> review is? Is Devin Sawa. <laughs> not this fake fucking feud that I have going on with Devin Sawa now in our head. <laughs> Devin Sawa versus Slasher. Okay, but this old man gets taken out by a TV to bring it whole fucking room. And I TV should have done it again. Bop, bop. I wish the I wish we just saw that TV just going up and down and up and down and just fucking smashing this old man's head in. I needed it. Yeah, but if they did that, like he's on top of Deborah, so like you're also killing yourself in a way. But also, this bitch's fucking jaw becomes unhinged like a goddamn boa constrictor. So I don't think her <laughs> fucking life is on the line anymore that's the one scene that i was <laughs> that's the one scene that i rewound like five or six times is when they're in the mine and she's literally sucking on this cancer patient like she's a fucking lollipop <laughs> and i'm like i like see it and she like what like i don't know like i love it tries like snakes do to like get a little bit more so like they spit a little bit out and then like grab it again and <laughs> i rewound that that part like five or six times it's like i don't think i'm grasping just exactly <laughs> what's happening and that little girl is not fighting she is not moving she's she's standing just her hands to her sides just letting herself being sucked like a little dreamsicle a mess and honestly listeners if at this point you aren't sure what's happening that's because the movie also just completely takes a nosedive into insanity because again like if we have like a nice slow methodical uh you know character heavy driven beginning portion it's slow um and it's everything feels deliberate at the beginning and then like immediately as soon as we learn about uh DiGiorno pizza like immediately it goes into like fucking it literally just feels like zero to 100 because then immediately Sarah's like, yes, this is it. I knew something else was going on. And like, they find an anthropologist who's part of this documentary and like, they question him and he's like, y'all got to burn the body. Cause that's what the witch doctor did for this one individual I spoke with many years ago. And we're just like, okay. And then like, we're thrown into the hospital. Harris gets fucking smacked in the back of the head. And then like, Sarah comes in with his dead body. Well, I guess he's not dead, but she comes in and is like yelling at him to like, tell me everything. And like on his deathbed, he's like, 
which is like so annoying. Like you could have just told me when my mother is like literally ripping skin off of her neck, something's not right. And you need to just, just tell me, oh yeah, we killed this crazy person back in the seventies and he's in the backyard right now. Like at that point, tell <laughs> me, it shouldn't take a TV to the back of your fucking wrinkled head to fucking tell me that. But she she's able to get some information out of him in this moment. So good for her. They rush back to the house. This is where they find the third attic. They find the dead body. They try to burn it. It doesn't work. They end up, you know, getting blasted away from the fireplace. And they run out of the house. And then the hospital calls her. And they're like, your mother's escaped. And she's like, oh, fuck. They rush back to the hospital so we can like randomly see the footage of Deborah taking this cancer patient, this poor little girl out in the most ridiculous scene ever when the security guard is just standing there. Nobody else is around to help, by the way. This hospital has one security guard, I guess, but he's just standing at the door with his arms out like that's going to do anything from this demon. And she just bites his ass. And so she's like also randomly like a snake. Like she has yeah, snake because venom. the doctor... It's like, I have to run to the security guard because he's having anaphylactic shock from a snake bite. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's also a serpent? Like, what is happening? What? In the river now? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I, like, this possession, I mean, kudos to them for making it different and it being like this random, like, snake demon thing that's going on here. But it's also like this old man who's possessed. But it also makes me, like, real, like wonder, like, when they killed him, was his body able to, like, become this evil entity because he already had started this blood ritual? Like, we don't yeah. get a lot of information here. Like, it's just kind of happening. And, you know, yeah. I feel like a lot of people were at the round table. And everybody's like, yeah, that's a good idea. But that's also a good idea. But that's a good idea, too. And they kind of just, like, put it all together but didn't make it cohesive. Yeah. They're just like... He's a demon serpent guy, but like needs five out of five and he only has four and has like help from like an Indian tribe. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? Like, what are y'all trying to say? Like, why does it have to be an Indian blood ritual? Like, I mean, I what did what do the snakes have to do with anything? Like, yeah, there's no explanation for anything. Like, they just throw it at us. They're this is a bad evil man. Deborah stopped him. We don't really even get too much information as to like what was going on there. Like, how does she know that Sarah was going to be the fifth person in this ritual? Right. Did like y'all catch him in the act and that's what happened? Or because like he had to have been like at the house, right? But like, why also, why would a doctor be at your house like logistically? Because like in the 70s, that's not when you had like house calls and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't understand how they like found this out. I yeah. don't. Again, like we get, there's like, there's so many missing pieces to this story. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, again, Deborah kidnaps this little girl. They run off into the woods. There's also some fun little like moments between Sarah and the police officer, the sheriff, Tweety. Oh, yeah, there Like are. there's definitely some, you know, history there between them. And I loved it. She's like, move in. That's how you can help me. And I was like, mm. oh. ah, I love it. And I'm like, but also Sarah, you have a girlfriend. Mm. monogamy is so yesterday <laughs> uh but yeah anyway so they chase her into the woods because deborah's walking this little girl there's also a stolen car really quickly they let us know that a toyota a honda accord oh, was oh. A honda accord? i thought it was a corolla maybe it probably is a tonda a tonda a tonda <laughs> it's, it's a silver 2006 tonda is what it is <laughs> 
<laughs> and there's snakes in the trunk. We found it. Anyways, she stole it. They rush off to find it. Right. She turns into like, on top of being like an old man and a demon and a snake and an old woman dementia patient, like they're also Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and she like, who... I just want to know, did she, like, punch a hole in the window? I didn't know we were playing GTA, but, like, also, <laughs> like, six other games. Where is the police force? Two <laughs> police officers show up to... Tweety's busy right now, okay? A young cancer patient was taken from a hospital by an old woman who, at this point, is beyond... Earth's comprehension. comprehension. Yeah, like she's in a different dimension and we're just here. <laughs> and like there's two police officers that like follow on foot to find her. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what are we doing, eczema? Like what is happening, Virginia? Like we didn't radio for backup. What do you expect for a town called eczema? Sir? Yeah, I guess you're right. And then the sheriff is like, we have dermatitis. A <laughs> I just made this whole connection. A mess, girl. But it's literally Five people that go to follow Deborah: the cameraman, two police officers, Sarah, and Mia. So they find her walking this little girl into the middle of the woods because she's going to this mill, which is where, you know, uh, DiGiorno wants to be able to finish his ritual. Um, so, like, they find him in the woods, and the police officer, <laughs> he goes, ma'am, we're going to need you to release the girl in the <laughs> most, like, ca- like, the most obvious police officer voice you could ever hear in like any type of movie setting and it is so hilarious because then she like spits venom onto his face yeah and like burns his eyes <laughs> out and then mia's like t- going to talk to lewis and she's like you have to drive him down this mountain and get him help i can't leave sarah but also i don't understand why lewis is like what no i would have been like say less and i would have uh, threw bye. the camera at mia's face and be like goodbye and fucking pick this man up i honestly would have just left him i would have hopped in the car and drove him out <laughs> but that's the dumbest decision to make is like you're leaving yourself on the side of a mountain with a demon snake serpent yeah but mia again as, at this point is like really connected to sarah like she's obviously a part of this journey but like you're also giving this stranger this man a cop car <laughs> To drive down the mountain, I just there's a lot of I mean uh, dire circumstances, questionable I choices. Yeah, but this sheriff house also is so silly because then they get to the mail and she's like, "Y'all wait out here," and she goes inside and dies very quickly. Like she, she's mm-hmm. in there for like two seconds and then she screams and is murdered. So Mia and Sarah go in there and they find her dead body with a snake by her because of course there's a snake by her dead body. We haven't seen enough of them in this movie. Mm-hmm. So did like the snake pull the trigger i i guess i just after i guess it's just like her uh like her what is that called like your calling a calling card? card yeah it's like the joker whenever he leaves <laughs> one of the joker cards right. she just leaves a giant black mamba <laughs> yeah but they see the sheriff is dead they go deeper into the mines to try to find uh deborah and they do find her and it makes me laugh that like sarah again i really just love her tenacity in the scene because I understand she wants, I mean, if this was my mother or a family member or friend who was possessed, but was also like taking this cancer patient into a male, like I would definitely feel like the responsibility to go in there and try to stop the situation from happening. Um, So she's very 
I don't know. I admire her in the scene because she's yeah. like taking control. She's not afraid. No hesitation. She's tossing snakes all. around with her bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> like she does not give a fuck. But when they finally like catch up with her, she's like, we're going to sedate her. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if sedatives are going to help with a fucking demon serpent from the underworld, Sarah. But I, I appreciate the effort that you're putting in here. And then we come... Like, we have to go through this tunnel, which makes my fucking claustrophobia <laughs> fucking trigger. But, and then we come around like this boulder, it feels like. And mm-hmm. the mother, literally, like a snake, like jaw and hinge, just like I said, sucking on this cancer patient's head like a fucking dum dum. Uh-huh. It's crazy. And then she screams at them too with her mouth, again, being unhinged and super wide. Um, it's very alarming. It's very scary. I think it's probably obviously like the best visual scare that they have in this movie or just the best visual period, I think is this moment because it definitely stays with you. Yeah, like Sarah doesn't, I think Sarah shoots at like the wall behind them, I'm assuming. Yeah, to startle her, I think. Yeah, and like, so they, the mom and the kids separate momentarily and we get like a lot of shots of Deborah in that like weird, like demon state. I don't, I'm not really sure. It's pretty creepy. Yeah, I will give them that. I thought it would be really cheesy, especially after that, like jaw and hinge sucking moment. (laughs) I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. Like I said, I had to rewind it several times and be like, I'm not really sure I'm grasping what's happening right now. <laughs> Are you just going to like envelop this child or? It's a lot. It really is a lot. And uh, we also get like a lot of those, like, uh, you know, those painful to sit through like lychee effects. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we get a lot of them in this end scene as well. Uh, but it makes sense for them to be there. Um, Cause like, there's a whole lot of movement and like, well, I mean, that glitch effect happens whenever there's a lot of movement and a lot of like, I don't know, like not energy, but I guess electricity, like interruption and the fucking current <laughs> inside the camera. I will give that like, this is pretty much the only time that they have that glitch effect, which I really appreciate because it kind of makes sense for it to be here. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I guess. It just, it feels like a very chaotic ending. Uh, It definitely has, Mm -hmm. again, like some good vigils, though. Um, And they end up getting the girl, the little girl away from Deborah, so they can burn the body. And then Deborah seemingly seems fine. And then we kind of cut to the very end of the movie where they're pretty much, you know, explaining that she was okay, but they did find her mentally unfit to stand trial. The little girl's thriving, but we get like the ending where she's like staring at the camera after having a news interview done and she looks very sinister. So I guess we're That's to a little ass- smirk. Uh-huh. So I guess we're assume we're to assume that this is DiGiorno who's possessed her, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Cause like she has this amazing remission and she doesn't have cancer anymore and all her hair is grown back and she's great. And we don't even, we don't really get like a time delay, like how How long long between like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. how long this took, but it seems to be like very unnatural and like a miracle. And um, like the interviewers, like, uh, what are you going to do with your long life now? And at first she's like, I don't know. It's a secret. it's a secret. And then he's like, well, she's like, uh, what's she saying? There's I have a plan. It's a secret. And I was like, okay. And then they fucking pan out to her doing this little smirk. And I was like, okay, so you're possessed now. 
Yeah. Um, so kind of a silly little ending there. Um, but overall, I mean, with the movie, again, I enjoyed it. I really, again, enjoy the characters. I enjoy the interactions. Although the camera crew themselves and like the, you know, the medical documentary crew, um, it's kind of funny sometimes and their line delivery is kind of funny at times, but they definitely bring the flavor and I enjoy it. And I, I, I laugh every single time when they tell Lewis to go first and he's like, you're going to make the brown person go first. Uh, it definitely made me laugh. And then when he's also the one that mentions the addicts and I don't know, I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. There's a lot to it that I enjoy. I do think the second half of the film falls a little bit flat for me personally. Um, it didn't hit like I was going to, or like I was expecting, but again, mm-hmm. that's just my personal opinion. It, again, it definitely left me in a state of like not wanting to watch it again anytime soon. There was a lot of good ideas that weren't executed cohesively. And that's pretty much like how I feel about the whole movie. Yeah. They introduced a lot and like, we, we get a lot of information on him literally like with 50 minutes left in the movie and like then the last 50 minutes of this movie are just like so focused on him we don't understand really what is happening with this possession we don't i mean and i guess with the possession i mean what really can we ask for but if she's like fucking spitting venom and like is also like randomly a snake i would like some type of development there would like to at least kind of understand what the fuck is happening with this possession because like we didn't get any information as to what the fuck is happening, but you know, whatever the fucking sucking on the cancer patient's head was a really cool visual. So we at least got that out of it, I guess. So what is our official rating for taking of Deborah Logan? Um, I feel like I'm always going to just like give a three, but I'm going to give this one a three. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably said about a three too. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Three final shirts out of five. Three final what? Three flannel shirts out of five. Flannel shirts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I feel that. Because, again, like, there's so much that I really do enjoy about this movie. Um, in terms of found footage, um, I definitely like the documentary approach. I mean, it happens a lot in found footage. But I think this is the first time in watching a found footage film where I actually kind of felt like I was watching a documentary at first. Mm. Um, so they did a great job with that. It felt very believable. And again, the characters were fun. There's some good moments. It does become a very unhinged at the end, but I definitely recommend it with a huge trigger warning, obviously. But I think it's a good time. And we do get a really, really, really good queer character, thanks to Sarah in this movie as well. Um, you know, and they're not calling her Big Sarah, Little Sarah the entire movie. So it's a blast. Right. Uh, if you've seen it, you've seen it. If you haven't, go see it, but we only need to watch it once. Yeah, I, again, I agree. So that's taking a Deborah Logan. Next week, we have a huge episode. We're going to be discussing Creep 1 and Creep 2. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited. I'm really happy that we decided to the end of the month with those movies because I love them. Like, uh, I really do enjoy them. But I haven't seen them beyond my first viewing of each one of them. So I'm very excited to see how I feel after watching both of them for a second time. Yeah. And again, if y'all kind of want to like prepare and <laughs> and uh, like s- probably get like our first impressions of that movie, it is also an Instagram live on our Instagram. 
Yeah, we have both of them on our Instagrams. Uh, so you can definitely go and watch our live reactions to the film and have a ball. And again, like Stormy said, just be prepared for our initial thoughts because we're going to see now how we've grown and where we are almost a year later since watching it for the first time. Or how we feel about it sober, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> also that. I mean, no guarantees there. Okay. Mm, okay, well, it was a fun week. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Stormy, where can everybody find us? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the same handle at slash underscore her underscore pod. You can find us on any streaming platform, including Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can email us at slash herpod at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us for yet another week, and we love you so much. Thanks for two. I already said that. Stay spooky, guys. <laughs> Stay spooky, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.